the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible spans several thousand years, and it's all culminated and coalesced into one book. So how did that come about? Well, that's the question we're answering next, here on Abounding Grace. The Bible really is a unique book. So many authors and so many thousands of years spent creating this book, this book that shows us who God is, who we are, and why we are in need of the God who created us. So what is the history of the English Bible? How did it all come about? Well, those are questions we're answering this week here on Abounding Grace as we turn our attention to our little mini-series on the Bible, the history of the English Bible. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's broadcast in Isaiah 46. During this time in his life, Whitcliffe was consumed with a vision of carrying the gospel to the most remote little hamlets and villages throughout the British Isles. So to carry out that vision and to put skin and bone on it, he created an itinerary evangelistic organization of preachers who had the responsibility of preaching the gospel everywhere, all over the British Isles and beyond. This itinerant evangelistic, these, these um, itinerant evangelistic preachers were called poor priests. They went everywhere, not only disputing Roman Catholic doctrine, but preaching the true gospel. And they came to be known as Lollards. Now, why would these priests of Wycliffe be called Lollards? Well, you can take your pick of one of two roots of the word Lollard. There is a Dutch root and there is a Latin root. The Dutch root, root of the word Lollard means to sing. So it would be very responsible, reasonable to think they were called Lollards because they went about singing the Psalms. But I think it was probably a derogatory term because most labels for Christians, especially then, such as Puritans and Bible thumpers. So the Latin root for Lollard means tares. That is, weeds intermingled with Catholic wheat. So it is my opinion, and that of many, many others, that that is where the word came from. These are tares. They are Lollards. They are trying to mix weeds in with the pure Roman Catholic Wheat, And they became so powerful and influential in Great Britain that the Roman clergy, as you can imagine, became alarmed at what they were preaching and how influential that preaching was becoming. That a law was passed to imprison all of the Lollards. But in the early days, the authorities were unable to do so because they were usually protected by the people who would surround them when the authorities came out to arrest them. 
And after creating this itinerant evangelistic organization, John Wycliffe had a deeper longing in his heart to put the Bible permanently into the hands of the people of England. He saw he needed to translate the Bible into English. So there needed to be a new translation of the Bible into English because the language had evolved. The people of England at this time couldn't read the Bible for a couple of reasons. One, the church wouldn't allow it. And secondly, because available copies at this time were all written in Latin. The early English versions that I've already talked about by King Alfred and others were conveniently locked into monasteries, and the libraries of those monasteries where no lay person was allowed because the Roman Catholic Church of that day believed Bible reading by laity was injurious, harmful to laymen, so they shouldn't read the Bible then. But the time was very ripe for a new English translation. Not only was there a new need because all the Bibles were in Latin and all the people spoke English, but because earlier versions were in different languages. And now there needed to be one in the language of the people of that day. So sometime between 1380 and 1384, Wycliffe finished his translation of the Bible. That translation was widely circulated throughout the British Isles, and it had a great reviving influence upon men's hearts. It enlightened men's minds. It converted men's soul. Even King Richard II's wife, Anne of Bohemia, was a devoted reader of Wycliffe's Bible. One contemporary writer said, You could not meet two people on the highway, but one of them was a Wycliffe disciple. So according to a contemporary of Wycliffe, his influence was such as to bring about 50% of the English people under the influence of his Bible and theology, which was increasingly becoming reformed. By the way, there are about 170 manuscripts of the Wycliffe Bible still in existence today. But not everyone rejoiced at Wycliffe's translation of the Bible. Once again, the clergy opposed it, believing it to be heresy, to speak of the Holy Scripture in English. So efforts were being made in the church and in Parliament to confiscate and destroy all the copies of Wycliffe's Bible. Having given England a Bible in her own tongue, Wycliffe began to study more fervently and to reflect on its contents. And from that moment on, his theology became more and more biblical, or may I say more and more reformed. You would have thought that he lived during the time of Knox and Calvin and and the rest of the reformers, and not 200 years before. And as a result of his study in the Bible, he began to attack transubstantiation and the mass as heretical idolatry and blasphemous. And what is transubstantiation? It is the view of of the Roman Catholic Church that during the taking of the Lord's Supper, the wine becomes the actual blood of Christ, and the bread becomes the actual flesh of Christ. Because of his comments on this issue, his enemies sought to silence him and destroy him. He was excommunicated from the church, and his friends at this point deserted him because they were afraid of how their relationship with Wycliffe might negatively affect them. The civil government stood against him. 
So it was obvious that storm clouds were on the horizon, and John Wycliffe stood all alone, and the storm soon burst upon him. However, in the middle of, of May of that year at 2 p.m., when the church council was about to pronounce the sentence, Wycliffe, a severe earthquake shook the whole city of London, and the council quickly adjourned the meeting, fearing that it might be a sign from God, you think? It's interesting that when you read about the life of Wycliffe, you see how often he was rescued from the enemies by unexpected acts of divine providence. Let me just tell you about a couple of them. Soon after his writings were condemned, Pope Gregory XI in 1370 was harassing Wycliffe and seeking to destroy him. But suddenly, suddenly he died. And that ended all further persecution from Pope Gregory XI of John Wycliffe, Wycliffe very quickly. Several times Wycliffe was summoned before the Archbishop of Canterbury to be silenced, but he was always dismissed because they could never get their charges to stick, either because the people of London came to his side and demonstrated on his behalf, or some great lord intervened on his behalf, or because some uncommon providence of God that scared these persecuting bishops out of their wits. But as time went on, the doctrines were condemned. The assault on Whitcliffe by church authorities began to increase. Whitcliffe grew older and weaker, but his bold biblical preaching never wavered in spite of more and more attacks against him. In November 1382, he presented a petition to the House of Commons in Parliament. By now, he is an old man, but here is what he bravely says to Parliament. Since Jesus Christ shed his blood to free his church, I demand its freedom. I demand that everyone may leave those gloomy walls, the monasteries in which tyrannical laws prevail, and embrace a simple and peaceful life under the open vault of heaven. I demand that the poor inhabitants of our towns and villages be not constrained to furnish a worldly priest, often a vicious man and a heretic, with the means of satisfying his ostentation, his gluttony, and his licentiousness, of buying a showy horse, costly saddles and bridles with tinkling bells, rich garments and soft furs, while the peasants see their wives and children and neighbors dying of hunger. Of course, he never really endeared himself to the church, did he? Well, he said that to the House of Commons. But praise God, nothing significant happened or came of it as far as the persecution of Wycliffe is concerned. But he no sooner made this petition to Parliament than an assembly of bishops, university professors, priests, and others called him before them to answer for some of his views. He was even more weakened by age, by hard work, by many trials, and much persecution. But he came before them, an old, weak man, and he powerfully defended himself and finished with these words, the truth shall prevail. He spoke those words before the assembly that was there to destroy him. But just as Jesus walked through his enemies who were there to kill him, Wycliffe, without raising a head, just walked out of that court, and not one of his enemies dare raise a hand or a voice 
against him. He was living peaceably. Among his books and his congregation when another blow was aimed at him, the Pope summoned him to Rome to appear before the papal tribunal that had shed so much of the blood of its adversaries in centuries gone by. He was seriously ill. It was impossible for him to obey this summons, but once again providence rescued him from the church. Listen, by dividing the Roman Catholic Church between two popes. So it had two infallible heads, each of them, of course, direct from the line of St. Peter, right? It is called the Babylonian captivity of the church. Um, There was one pope called Clement VII, who was supported by France and Scotland and parts of Spain and Germany. Then there was Urban VI, who was supported by Italy, part of Germany, England, Sweden, Poland, and Hungary. And each one of these popes considered themselves the head of the church. And so were constantly abusing and excommunicating one another. In the meanwhile, Wycliffe went on peacefully preaching the gospel and taking advantage of the situation. He knew imprisonment would come sooner or later. But the Babylonian captivity of the papacy stalled it. So Wycliffe did not die a martyr. The war between the two wicked popes left the faithful disciple of the Lord in peace. So he continued to preach in his church in Lutterworth until December 29, 1384, when in the midst of his congregation he was struck with paralysis, and 48 hours later he died. His body was buried in the Lutterworth Cemetery. However, after two councils of Roman Catholic Church, declared him to be a heretic in 1413. They commanded him as the leader of heresy in 1445 to have his body exhumed, burned along with all of his books, and his ashes thrown into the river Swift, which flows into the river Way, which flows into the river Severn, which empties into the ocean. And like his ashes, his doctrine spread throughout the earth. Now, what was the impact of Wycliffe? Let me quote from Reverend Daubigny. This is the death of Wycliffe. Thus, in the death of Wycliffe was removed from the church one of the boldest witnesses to the truth. The seriousness of his language, the holiness of his life, and the energy of his faith had intimidated the papacy. Travelers relate that if a lion is met in the desert, it is sufficient to look steadily at him, and the beast will turn away from roaring from the eye of the man. Well, Whitcliffe had fixed his eye on the papacy, and the terrified papacy left him in peace. Hunted down unceasingly while living, he died in quiet in life and death, a faithful witness to the truth of the word of God. With John Whitcliffe, the Reformation in England had begun. Whitcliffe is perhaps the greatest of the English reformers. He was, in fact, the first reformer of English Christendom. And if Luther and Calvin are the fathers of the Reformation, Wycliffe is its grandfather. Now, I want to read some of the, his uh, Calvin, Calvinism. Of course, this is uh, uh, anachronism because Wycliffe lived 200 years before Calvin. But let me give you a summary of some of the things that he believed. This is also in Dubonnier's book. 
If the man is admirable, his teaching is no less so. Scripture, which is the rule of truth, should be, according to his view, Wycliffe, the rule of the Reformation. And we must reject every doctrine and every precept which is not resting on that foundation. He declared to believe in the power of man um, in the work of regeneration and the new birth is the great heresy of Rome. And from that air has come the ruin of the church. Conversion proceeds from the grace of God alone. And the system which ascribes it partly to man and partly to God is worse than Pelagianism. Christ is everything in Christianity. Whoever abandons that foundation, which is ever ready to impart life and turns it to muddy and stagnant water, is a bad, is a mad man. Faith is a gift of God. It puts aside all merit and should banish all fears from the mind. The one thing needful in the Christian life and in the Lord's Supper is not a vain formalism and superstitious rites, but communion with Christ according to the power of the spiritual life. Let Christians submit not to the word of a priest, but to the word of God. In the primitive church, that is the early church, there were but two orders, the deacon and the elder. And the sublimest calling which man can obtain on earth is that of preaching the word of God. The truth, the true church is the assembly of the righteous for whom Christ shed his blood. So long as Christ is in heaven, in him the church possesses the best pope. It is possible for a pope to be condemned at the last day because of his sins. Should man call us, should men call us to recognize as our head a devil of hell? Such were the essential points of Wycliffe's doctrine. It was the echo of the doctrine of the apostles and a prelude to the reformers. So here you see a man who lived 200 years before the Protestant Reformation in the 1300s, who translated the Bible into English and also had the same views that we have in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And if you notice, he was even a Presbyterian in church government. Now, what happened to his followers after his death, the Lollards or the Tares? Well, the history of the Lollards in the 1300s to the early 1500s would need to be divided actually into two eras. You have the early Lollards and you have the latter Lollards because of two different emphases. The early Lollards, those who lived and preached, who were actually appointed by Whitcliffe to spread the gospel all over England and beyond, experienced a great setback when Wycliffe's writings were condemned by the church and they were tremendously discouraged when Wycliffe died. But even then, up to 401, they continued a steadfast stream of tracts and pamphlets in English, pouring forth from their pens, presenting the gospel of Christ to Englishmen. Several of these lollards were threatened with being burned at the stake for their views. And then here is the difference between the early Lollards and the latter Lollards. Whereas the early Lollards were threatened with being burned at the stake, they were not as yet ready to be martyrs. So many of the early Lollards recanted when they were threatened with death and turned their backs on biblical doctrine. But now lest you be quick to judge these men, 
it would be a terrible thing to be burned at the stake. The latter Lollards, that is, those throughout the 1400s and on into the 1500s, were great and courageous men. They kept the light of the truth burning brightly in Great Britain through their preaching, even though they faced persecution and martyrdom. Many of the latter Lollards were tortured and burned at the stake during the reigns of Henry IV, Henry V, and Henry VI, all of whom were committed to crushing the Lollards and the doctrines of Wycliffe. The first English martyr martyr to be burned at the stake was in 1403, and his name was William Sautry. His persecutors asked him, Do you adore the cross of Christ? Will you kiss it? Which is in typical Roman Catholic fashion. He said, No, I don't adore the cross of Christ. I adore the Christ of the cross. Henry IV forced Parliament to pass a statute to suppress heresy, which authorized the burning of those the church considered heretics. Now, this wasn't Spain. It wasn't Italy or some Islamic country. This was England. And the king of England, Henry IV, had a law passed authorizing the burning of heretics at the stake. Henry V expanded this law, and it remained in effect through the reigns of Henry VI and Henry VII. Henry VIII repealed it, although he also had reformers tortured. Bloody Mary, as you can imagine, revived the law and killed many, many Christians. Queen Elizabeth then repealed it, but she still persecuted the Reformed Church. And while it remained in effect, many young and old, male and female, suffered torture and imprisonment and death. But despite the severe persecution of the Wycliffe preachers, these Lollards, the fourth in the fourteenth and fifteen hundreds, continued to spread the pre-Reformation gospel of Wycliffe, mainly among the working people in Great Britain. Now remember, he died in the late thirteen hundreds. In fourteen twenty two, under Henry the Sixth's reign there were still large congregations of lawlers in various places of England, even when it's a capital crime to be a lawler. Not only that, but the lawlers built schools so they wouldn't have to put their children in anything but Reformation schools again while being a a lawler was a capital crime. And yet many Christian parents today think it's just too rough to put their children in Christian schools or to homeschool them. Shame on us. In 1450, now we're talking about 70 years since Wycliffe's death, there was a bishop who wrote a book in English to refute the doctrine of Wycliffe and the Lawlers. 70 years later. Now why would a bishop think he had to write a book refueling Lollard's doctrine in 1450 if Wycliffe's doctrine wasn't still a threat to the church. And there weren't many people who, there were many people who still believed it. Moreover, why do you think instead of writing it in Latin, the bishop would write a book refuting Wycliffe in English? Because those were the people he wanted to reach, those who wanted the Bible in English. If you look at the register of the persecuting bishops, you'll find that even in the 1500s, 
In fact, as late as 1521, many Lollard congregations still existed throughout England. But remember, what happened in 1516 and 1517? The Reformation began. So the Reformation in England in the 16th century was built on the congregations and families still clinging to the doctrines of a man who had been dead for 200 years. I'll stop here today. But in a few weeks, we're going to return to the history of the English Bible and look at the life of William Tyndale. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.